Uh, you'll notice if you found your place in 2 Kings 5, you'll notice we're in a place different than we were last week and we'll be in a different place uh, this, up, this upcoming week because we're, in a, we're taking a little break from the Gospel, the gospel of John to, uh, to look at a series that we've called Unexpected Heroes. So we're kind of taking some dives into some, some unique stories in the Bible uh, to see what they have to teach us about who God is and how God works and how we can be involved in what God is doing in the world. We're trying to learn together uh, that God, the God of the Bible is the kind of God who uses unlikely people to do unexpected things and uh, that we have the privilege of being involved in what he's doing. So maybe, maybe we could put it into the form of a question. Let me, let me, state, it, uh, let me state it like this. Uh, would, your not, would, would our lives not immediately be transformed if God, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present God, the God who is there, the only God, the God who exists, had plans for this world, and he found a way to involve you and to involve me in his plans for the world. Well, we can imagine that since he's God, they're pretty great plans, because he doesn't do anything mediocre. And he, he intends to involve us in what he's doing. And he finds a way to personally communicate to us I, will, I, I want you involved in this. He, he, you, 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 as it were, you walk into the room and, and he, he says, pull up a chair. We're having a meeting about the things I would like to get done. He brings you onto his staff. He, he invites you into his very confidence. He enlists you in service and in trust. Now, now if you knew that, if you knew his agenda was to involve you in his agenda, would that not immediately transform things? I think it would. Would that not immediately transform what we would call ordinary or every day? Well, that's exactly what God wants to do. God is looking for vessels, friends. He's looking for instruments. He's looking for those he can use. And I know that this church, with its mission, desires to be filled with people that God can use. The question of this series and of our lives is not, it's not really who we are, it's whose we are. And it's not really what strengths and talents and gifts I have, those are important, and self-awareness is, is essential, but it's does God have me? So this story in 2 Kings chapter 5 that we're going to look at today, not the whole story, but a little bit of it, enough to give us some context, and we're going to focus on a character in this story who's going to help us understand these things and hopefully more about who God is and about how we can be involved in what he's doing. Second Kings chapter 5, let me invite you to stand. I'm going to read, uh, read, a, read a larger portion than what we'll consider in our actual exposition, but I want to give us enough sense of what's happening as we're just dropping into Second Kings uh, to be able to know what's happening. Okay, now it's, it's a little bit lengthy. I want you to just listen as I read. Second Kings chapter 5, listen for characters and listen for what God is doing in this story. Second Kings chapter 5, just listen as I read. I'm starting in verse 1. These are the words of God. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria... 
for he would deal, he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letters to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened, when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive, that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana? And the, and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Lord, we do ask for your help as we study and look at these things together. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we can sing and tell you back to you how great you are because praise befits the upright. We're grateful that you are a God of revelation who speaks to us through your word, that we can know you. We may never know you exhaustively, but we can know you truly. And this story is here to tell us that, yes, unexpected things can come from unlikely people. Unexpected things can even come from unnamed and unknown people. And maybe we feel that way today. Maybe we feel unknown and unnamed. Maybe we feel like, where is my place in this big cosmic story? I know God has plans. I know God has things that he wants to do, but I'm waiting and I'm unsure and I I don't know the next step and maybe I should just risk it. Lord, in all the ways that you know how, would you give strength and wisdom and guidance I pray that you would serve us today through your word and commission us out, deploy us out better to know what it means and the responsibility we have to those around us. Because we will learn today that the gospel provides the power and the motivation for all that you command us to do. And I pray that you would teach us this and much more in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your seats, everybody. Thanks. Okay. Now, this, this is a really great story, and, chat, and, and again, I, I just feel the, I feel the need to give some context because we haven't been in 2 Kings. Um, there's a lot, and I'll say more about it in, ju- in just a little bit, but there's a lot going on in 2 Kings. This is a unique story. Uh, we, don't, we don't know anything else about this man Naaman or this girl that we're going to focus on. It was only, we only see her in two, two verses here in the, here in the chapter. Um, but, uh, but, but this story, it goes longer than verse 14. It actually goes all the way into chapter 6. And, and, and there's just so many lessons to learn. Uh, really, this, this unique story, kind of dropping in right here in this larger book of 2 Kings, is, real, is really about, is all about salvation. Uh, if you follow what this man Naaman has to do, 
and the things that he says and the responses people give back to him, you learn this is far more about a man being healed of leprosy. It's God giving us his pattern and his ways of salvation generally. If you notice this man, Naaman, he's incredibly successful. He's got everything he could ever need, but he's got this very, very serious illness. He's a leper. And, and, he, go, and, he, and he listens to this slave girl that lives in his house that he had that he had taken captive on a raid, and he, he goes to, uh, he goes, I, I, there's, two, there's two places in the story that are incredible. He goes to Elisha, this big miracle-working prophet in Israel, and he, you know, he comes out with all this, he's got all this gold and this, all this stuff to present to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even go out and see, see him, he just sends like the intern, you know, he says, go out and see him, and, and this makes Naaman mad. Well, again and again, God is, telling, God is telling Naaman, you have to come to me in a certain way. You don't come to me with a resume. You don't come to me with credentials. You don't come to me with your strength. You only come to me with need. You only come to me humble. See, Naaman, Naaman keeps wanting to go up, and God says, no, 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 you have to go down. Friends, that's all of us. We have to go down. We have to go down to the low place. That's where the Lord is waiting on us. It's the, the, story, the story teaches all God requires of us to be saved and sanctified is need. It's the only thing we can give him is our need and our weakness. And all of that is downstream from this unnamed, unknown servant girl only mentioned in verses 2 and 3. So I want to focus on her. And, she, and see what she has to teach us about God, and more importantly, about his gospel, and about the power and motivation the gospel gives us. I think we can do that if we ask four questions of this passage. They're on your notes, four questions to help us work through this. First, let's ask, who is this servant girl? Who is this servant girl? Well, the, it, 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 doesn't, uh, it doesn't take long to answer because the short answer is we really do not know. We know something of her master Naaman, who's only mentioned here, so that's really the only reason we know about her. The Bible tells us next to nothing about her. She doesn't have a name. This is the only place she's mentioned. Naaman, her master, is mentioned, so she's mentioned. We know she's a girl, and we can assume um, that, that she's probably very young, probably a teenager. We know she's been taken captive on a raid. We know she's experienced something horrible. As we get to, get to see in just a second, we know her entire future has been changed, but we do not know her name, her exact age, anything about her family, height, eye color, likes, dislikes, dreams, wishes, hopes, nothing. We know nothing about her. This series is called Unexpected Heroes because God uses unexpected people to do unlikely things. I love the way one author put it. He said, God is the kind of God who has the ability to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. That's what he does all the time. Evidently, God does not just use the unexpected to achieve the unlikely. He's in the business of using the unknown to achieve the unlikely, the unnamed to achieve the unlikely. And, and, and God has his own purposes in his word for the characters he intends to provide more detail about and the ones that he excludes. You see this a lot in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll, you know, you'll, see, you'll see whole characters that Jesus interacts with. Uh, the rich young ruler is kind of a famous story. That's, that's what you call, if you hear a sermon about that man, that's what he's called because that's always called. We don't, we don't have his name. Blind Bartimaeus, we know him forever, right? Mary and Martha. God has his wisdom for why he does what he does. For some reason, he chose to leave this young girl unknown and unnamed. Now, she is known to him, and that's really all that matters. And we're going to find that she's in the place where God wants her to be. So what we have is a young girl 
unnamed and unknown, unknown, and God is going to use her in a significant way. Now, if we just have that set up from the story, is that not a setup we would expect? Is that not a situation in which we would expect God to work? Isn't there just a perfect setup for God to do what he does? Unknown, unnamed, hardly any resources. She's in every sense a slave. She has no power to change her situation whatsoever. Doesn't this seem like a situation where you would expect God to show up and do something significant? It is. Because he is the one who uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. His glory shines brightest. It's shown in its purest form through weakness and need. Paul says, my, Jesus says to the apostle Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What he means is your weakness and my strength are a perfect match. They, they are made for each other. So let's just live there. All of my presumption about how great I am, all of my posturing, all of my trying to make myself look good, all of my presenting of myself, I, it's, all, it's all just silly when my weakness and his strength are a perfect match. Why would I settle for anything less than what he says is the best means possible? This girl will teach us this. And maybe you feel like this young girl. You're, you're unknown and you're unnamed in the story. I, there's, you could double-click on that and, and give a lot of application, but maybe, maybe you're just asking, what, is, what significance do I have in God's plan for his glory? I mean, I know, I know God has plans. I know that the agenda of God through his gospel is to make sure that our neighbors and our nations are happy in him. I know that, don't we? We know that. We know God's agenda is for the world to know how good and gracious and great he is. I know that, but where do I fit in? Like, what, what do I do? Well, um, sometimes with application, so I've got, I've got, um, I've got five, five uh, small kids, and um, not every day, but some days, um, I'll come home and the house is... Uh, um, there's stuff there, you know? And it's like, there was a box for it, but it hasn't, it hasn't found the box. And you go, like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just walking into this, you know? Um, well, where do you start? Look, you start with what, here, here's what we do. I start with just what's right in front of me, okay? Well, look, that's how application starts. Just start with what's right in front of you. Start with, what, think about this, as we move through this time, think about what's right in front of you, the people right in front of you, here in this church and otherwise. So let's just start there. God has a place for us. So, so we could be asking that. I'm a mom watching a few kids every day. I'm a dad just trying to pull it together. Maybe hold it together is a better word. Here I am just an employee in the company. I'm just a member of this church. I, what does this have to do with anything? Where do I fit in? I think it's important as we start. I love these words from Francis Schaeffer. He was a missionary and pastor a generation ago. He said this, we must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight, there are no little people and no little places. In God's sight, who, who else's sight matters? There are no little people and there are no little places. He goes on to say, only one thing is important, to be consecrated persons in God's place for us at each moment. He goes on to say that much can come from little if it's truly given to God. 
Much can come from ordinary. Much can come from everyday. Much can come from constant, consistent discipleship is if it is given to God. But that's not the only thing we need to know. We don't only need to know that God is, that this girl is unknown and unnamed, and we may be too. We also must answer second, where is she? Where is she? This is important. It's an important part of the story. Details given in verses one and two. We meet Naaman and we meet her. Well, there's a couple characters. There's Naaman, his wife, and this girl. Naaman, his wife, and this girl. Okay, so Naaman is a commander of the king of Syria. All right, so he is, he's the head honcho. He's the general. So all the armies of Syria, he's the man. Okay, he, he calls the shots. So he's like, um, when, when our, during the Civil War, you had two big generals, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant. They were the two guys. That's who this guy is. He's the commander of the army. It all, he's got a staff. He's got thousands of troops under him, but he's, uh, the buck stops with him. It says he's a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him, I'm in verse 1, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, if you just pause there and look, the, because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Who's Syria? Well, it's not Israel. Right? This is just showing God's control of the whole situation. Who's, who's, who's working among this, among this foreigner this, the, to, to, to the nation of Israel? God is. God is. It says that the Syrians had gone out on raids in verse 2 and had brought back a young girl from the land of Israel. Into verse 2, she waited on Naaman's wife. And we'll stop there. So, so he's a, Naaman's a successful man, but we learn there's one thing about him that's very serious. At the end of verse 1, we learn, but a leper. Naaman is a leper. Now, leprosy uh, was and is a very uh, serious and, and, and eventual uh, deadly disease uh, by which your skin, uh, your skin just slowly decays. It's highly contagious. That's why there's such a thing then and now as leper colonies. Uh, it, basically, if you're a leper, it's incredibly difficult to be a part of, to have any community outside of other lepers. It's a very, uh, uh, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad illness. Uh, it slowly just kills you over time as it, get, it gets so bad that your actual limbs and fingers and things fall off. So he's got, it's as if, it's as if Naaman, Naaman has got everything going for him except, except he's a leper. He has this very, very serious illness. Now, this kind of thing, this raid that we're told happens in verse 2 was typical at this time in the, in the nation of Israel. Let me give a little bit of context to explain. The, 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 the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel at this time in the Bible was united as one nation under its first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. Due to Solomon's unfaithfulness, the nation is split in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. This is a bleak time in the nation of Israel. So this kind of raiding, this kind of fighting, this sort of like uh, just kings that weren't sure what to do, they're not very godly, hardly any of them are in fact, uh, is, is, is very, very, very common. First uh, and Second Kings records just a bleak time in the nation of Israel. If 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 First Kings records the decline of God's people, Second Kings records its collapse. At the end of Second Kings, the two nations that were once one but now divided are in exile away from the land of Israel. The the, the city of Jerusalem, the the city of God, the city of the King is destroyed. During this period. Syria is just running into Israel and just plundering them for stuff. A raid is not a, I mean, a, raid's not a good thing. Uh, we can assume, uh, th- th- so, th- so at one point this happens and they bring back this young girl. Um, we, we don't know else besides that. There's assumptions we can make, like maybe her family was killed. 
Maybe, maybe she's the only one left alive. What we do know, what we do know regarding where she is, is that she is in a situation she would never choose for herself. It's hard to measure and describe the situation she's in. She is away from her family, away from her home, most likely to never see them again. She's a young girl finding herself captive and slave to a foreign invader. Whatever future she had envisioned for herself, it is gone now. It is gone. Her family may have been killed. If you asked this girl five years before this, where do you see yourself? She, had not, she would not have said, prisoner and servant to the wife of Syria's general. Now, let's turn a corner with our focus and think about this. Each and every day, now I don't, Naaman, Naaman seems like, maybe, maybe Naaman was a stand-up dude and maybe his wife was a sweetheart. But each and every day, this girl finds herself in a situation that is very difficult. Each and every day, she's face-to-face with her enemy. Every day, told to serve in that situation. Naaman is not a friend. Naaman and his wife and, his, and their nation are enemies. The question is, how would we respond if we were taken from our families and home and forced to serve as slaves? Not the only time it's happened to God's people. Serve, serve him right could be a right response. There's all sorts of responses she could give. Now, we're not a servant girl and a slave of a foreign invader, but we are someone uh, somewhere with a certain attitude about who we are and where we are. I'm not saying what your attitude is. I'm just saying you are somewhere, you are someone, and you do have an attitude about that. And, and, and our circumstances, wherever we find our, and maybe, maybe you are face-to-face with, your enemy, with an enemy every day, someone who is opposed to you, particularly because you're a follower of Jesus. I don't think that's an unincreasing thing. I, I think that's an increasing thing. In our, in our culture today, if we are serious about Jesus, and if you call Grace Church home, that means you believe all the things that the culture is going to raise an eyebrow about. If we're serious about this, then, then, then you know, the book of Acts has got lessons for us. But what, what, wherever you may distinctly find yourself, you're someone somewhere with an attitude about, uh, about where you are. And what, I, and what I find is my circumstances have this great way, of, great way of revealing who I really am. So I mentioned my little kids. The other thing they like to do is, um, is get, get, you know, they get their, their little, so they'll get water for themselves out of the refrigerator. And they're not, you know, they're not like, oh, it's full. I should stop, you know. There's, they're loving the autonomy, you know. It's like, oh, this is fun. Yeah, I should make them clean it up. Maybe I'd stop it. But um, they're walking back with their cups, and it's just sloshing everywhere. I'm just walking behind them with a broom or a mop. That's that's what I do. Look, what's um, what's on the inside gets sloshed out. Okay? Our circumstances, the every everything in our life is just sloshing out what's on the inside. Every moment, every who I am, it's just it's just there. It is. It's thrown out again. And so, friends, it's really a matter of our hearts. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, here's the obvious question, number three. We know that she's unknown and she's unnamed. We know that she finds herself in a situation she would never dream of. The obvious question is, well, what's going to slosh out? Third, what does she do? What does she do? The stage is set for a response. Now, the Bible thankfully records what she does. This, this young girl in, verse, in verses 2 and 3 is serving in this home 
with this wife day after day, seeing Naaman's pitiful condition, at some point she speaks up. And she says to Naaman's wife in verse 3, Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. What are some responses this girl could have? She could, she could, say, she could say, serves him right. She could, she, she, could say, she could say what goes around comes around. She could do, she could do what's, what's probably really easy, which is silent gloating over the misfortune of someone else. Right? She could say, Lord, I'll pray for him, but that's it. She could say, what do you expect when you're not obedient to the Lord? How do you expect things to go? She doesn't do any of that. What we learn in verse 3 is that she tells her captor how he can be healed. Let's be clear. Naaman is not a friend. Naaman and his wife and his nation are enemies. But she tells him how she can be healed. Now, I think from the words in verse 3, I, I think she genuinely cares about her master, this guy. I think she genuinely cares about Naaman. Essentially, she says, somehow, essentially, somehow, a little girl has the faith to say, I'll let God sort it out. I will have compassion on him. That's what she says. She does not say serve him right. She does not do nothing. She encourages him to be healed. And in this act, she leaves an example and falls in line with a mark that distinguishes believers then and believers now. Love for enemies. Friends, if we want to do something today that will be unexpected, as followers of Jesus who are rooted in the gospel, the answer is love those who are opposed to us. The answer is love those who have done us harm and who wish to do us harm. That would be unexpected. That would be unexpected. In fact, many of the most radical commands given to believers have to do with how we respond to those who wish to do us harm and who have done us harm. The Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, gives guidance on this issue for God's people. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some headings and some verses that you can, that you can type out or just jot down very quick that you're then able to look at later and let the full force of these commands have their way with you. Let me give you a couple of them. What is this responsibility we are to have as disciples towards our neighbor, be them friend or enemy? This is what this slave girl teaches us. Let's, let's see this. First, the Bible tells us that with those that are opposed to us, that, that, that are enemies of ours because of our faith, first, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44, Matthew 5, 44, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray and to bless those who persecute them. Pray and bless those who persecute them. So pray for them. Second, Jesus tells us, the Bible commands us, do not repay. Do not repay. Romans 12, verse 17. Romans 12, verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. Now think about that for a second. Repay no one evil for evil. That's the passage where Paul says, have no vengeance. Have, uh, he says, retribution has no place in the life of a Christian. Period. Do you want to know why? Because that's not our lane. He says, leave it to the wrath of God. That's God's lane. That's not ours. Now look, we have God ordained a government to do what a government needs to do. But with personal interactions, we're not trying to play the game of, I got mine, now I'm going to get theirs. The Bible says, repay no one evil for evil. Friends, when, when, have, when have Christians ever wielded evil for our purposes? We don't, we don't do that. We, we flee evil. We kill sin. 
We don't, we don't, we don't employ, e- you never employ evil in your life. Ever. You, 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 re- you despise. Evil is a category. Righteous is a category. One of them we pursue, one of them we want nothing to do with. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't do it. Don't do it. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Now stop. Why does it say that we are not supposed to say, do not repay evil? Because you're going to want to say it. You're going to want to say, I'm going to get, I'm going at, he went after me, I'm going after him. So, so all, all the prohibitions we have in the Bible, uh, one way to see them is they're, they're guards against my, t- they're things I'm tempted to do, right? So God says, don't do it because he thinks you're going to want to do it. So he says, do not say I will repay evil. Proverbs 20, verse 22 continues, wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Wait for the Lord. God, God will figure it out. He's that kind of God. Pray for them, number one. Do not repay, number two. Number three, we're, we're commanded to do them good. We should do them good. Jesus in Luke 6, verses 27 and 28 says, it says, Jesus commanded his disciples, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, that, now that, that's, that's an incredible verse because it's not, so, so let's get the full picture. The Bible isn't just saying refrain from return uh, uh, refrain from from retaliating that would be one thing all that would do is require you and I to do nothing the bible's actually saying don't do nothing do something in response do positive good to them now that's different do them positive good luke 6:27 and 28 do them good those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. Proverbs 25, verse 21. Proverbs 25, verse 21 adds more color by saying, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Finally, and this may be the most difficult, not only are we to pray for them, not only are we to not repay, not only are we to do them good, but finally, we do not rejoice when things go bad for them. We do not rejoice when things go bad for them. Proverbs 20, verse 17. Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. How many, t- how, how many times have I just, somebody, something, something bad happened to them? You have a them. Something bad happened to them, and you just threw a little party in here? What's in there sloshes out. And look, it can slosh out in the privacy of my own heart. That doesn't mean it's not real. Jesus, the Lord saw it. I, I just, Proverbs 20, verse 27, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. That got all over me this week. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not a bad dude. I'm not going out just whacking people, but my heart. I mean, what about my heart? That's a big deal. The full weight of these verses when taken together teaches that the love God commands for his people is a love so great, so wide-reaching, so vast. The kind of love, the love of God, it, it, it jumps over every fence. It, it breaks down every wall across age and gender and class and, and, and standing everywhere. And it embraces, it, it embraces everyone. It has love for everyone, including our enemies. That's the vision of the Christian life the Bible gives us. It's some of the most radical commands in the Bible, our responsibility and our posture toward those who do not think very well of us. 
It's this crucial element for those of us serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question we have to ask. Fourth, fourthly, what can we learn from this girl? What can we learn from this girl? I think we can learn a couple things. One, or first, well, two, two main things. Two main things I think we can learn. First, I think we can learn something about who we are and where we are and how we are. Who we are is our personalities, our makeup, our, our, our strengths and our weaknesses, where we are, the, the family we're in, right where God put us, how we are, the attitude that we have about, about, where we, about where we are. And all of it is of God. All of it, every bit of it is of God, right where we are. And think about this with me. If, 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 the God, if the God we celebrate and we love, the God of the cross and the empty tomb, if he, if he revealed himself to us, let's say that God, through, his, through, the, through the Bible, only, we only know about God because he's chosen to, to make himself known. What if he only revealed himself to us as sovereign, as in control of everything, as ruling and as reigning and as all-powerful? What, what if that was the only way he revealed? He didn't say anything else about himself other than, I made you, I own you, and I'm in control. If that was the only way he revealed himself, that wouldn't necessarily make him attractive. Because we have no idea. He can do whatever. He, he, he's powerful, but we're not sure what his intentions are. And if he, and, and stay with me, if he only revealed himself as good, as gracious, and as kind, attributes like that, then, then well, that may make him attractive. But if that was all he ever said about himself, then we wouldn't be sure if he had any power to carry anything out. And if he only revealed himself to us as wise, then we may think he's got some great plans and is skillful in carrying out his agenda, but that wouldn't necessarily mean that we would know if he has the power to carry it out or the intentions for, for harm or for good for us. But brothers and sisters, God reveals himself as sovereign, as good, and as wise. He has has the power to carry it all out. He has wonderful plans. He has a gracious heart. He is goodness and love. What sloshes out of God when you go to him? Love for the world. Love for you. Love for me that sloshes out of him. His mercy sloshes out of him. His kindness sloshes out of him for people like us. And, and he's wise, so he's got, he's got all the power you will, he's got all resources at your disposal for whatever you need. And he's got, he's got a heart that is disposed to you. And guess what? He's skillful to know how to carry it all out. Friends, we can trust him with who we are, with where we are, and with how we are. I, I implore you, Grace Church, give him the glory for being trustworthy. Settle for nothing less than wholehearted, complete, total, right now, all the way, devotion to him. That's what he's worthy of. And it's all, I mean, what do we have to lose? Second, I think this little girl has something to teach us about Jesus. So we're just going to turn this, uh, our little auditorium here into a big Sunday school class and give the answer at the end of the lesson. It's all, this story is about Jesus. Every story we will study in this series is about Jesus. Because as one author put it, every story whispers his name. 
In fact, this story and many of them shout his name because this little story here that you may have not even heard of before you came in here today, we've got this little girl that we've been talking about. She's unknown and she's unnamed. We, we don't know her name, but today we do know the name. We do know the name that is above every name. We do know his name because the angel that spoke to Joseph made it so when he said, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus The name Jesus means Savior. His name is salvation. And he comes to bring salvation, not of some outward problem that I may have. That is the least of my concerns. He comes to heal the illness of all illnesses, the problem of all problems, the problem I could, no doctor, no th- nothing can fix this problem except for him, the illness and the problem of sin. He comes to give healing. That leprosy, that's the leprosy I need to be, that decay in my heart, that illness in my soul, that needs to be fixed more than anything else. And he comes to do that. And how does he do it? He comes, his name is Savior. We know his name. It's salvation. And he comes to die. Who does he die for? He doesn't die for friends. He dies for his enemies. One maybe, someone maybe will die for a righteous person. Maybe someone will die for a good person. But God, through Christ, through his son, for you, dies for sinners like us. And Paul says in Romans 5, he goes on to say, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. Here's the question I want to leave us with. What, on, what in all this world has the resources to create a people to do the unexpected? Loving their enemies. Embracing a love so vast, so broad, running across every fence, breaking down every wall. Compassion for all. What, has the re- what in all this world has the resources to create that? What creates that, pe- that, that kind of people? Those people, those peoples, and, those, and, that, and that group of people, what does it? The answer is the gospel. The answer, friends, is when we stare at the one who from the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, not, forgive them. Who? People killing him. Nothing else in all this world. The gospel, my friends, alone gives us the power and the motivation to love our enemies and to do the unexpected. And the church of Jesus Christ today has enemies. And a church like ours that will not give an inch on what God says will have enemies. Well, we just learned a lot about what our responsibility is. Friends, all the resources we need to do the unexpected in our angry and divided world, we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find by staring at the one who died for his enemies until it hits our heart the way that it should. Knowing that you were in that group and I was in that group. So yeah, yeah, don't repay evil for evil. That's not what Jesus did to you. When we, look, when we were hungry, he came and he said, I'm the bread of life. And when we were thirsty, he came and he said, come to me, 
any who will drink. And when we were in the dark, this precious Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So friends, here's what I want to do as we close. I want to give you some space to consider these things. It's going to be right there in your seats. It's going to be silent for just a couple of moments. And I want us to think about what the Lord Jesus has done, praying that it would hit our hearts in all the ways that it needs to in all of our situations and relationships. God knows those. Let's give him some space for just a moment. And Lord Jesus, we understand how serious these commands are, but we know we have resources to obey them, and we're grateful for that. And we're so grateful that God is a God who loves his enemies. Everyone in this room here today who is trusting in Christ is now a friend of God, and they were given that status. They did not come into the world with that status. They were given that status by grace, and I pray we would rejoice in that. And maybe we're here today and we, and, and, and we would never describe ourselves as an enemy of God. That sounds a little intense, maybe. But maybe it's something we need to think about more or talk about more. I pray that we would. I pray we would consider who God is and who we are in all the ways that we need to. And Lord Jesus, I just pray with who we are and where we are and how we are. In our culture, maybe it's in our families, Lord. Maybe it's in our workplaces, our angry and divided places, our cancel culture world. It would be very unexpected for Christians to, to, to not back off of truth, but to, meet it with, but to meet all of it with love as well. So, Lord, would you give us all the grace we need to apply these things, to start with what's right in front of us, to pick up, to pick up what's right in front of us and start from there and give us grace for every step of obedience after. Lord Jesus, we pray these things in your great name. Amen. Amen, friends. Amen.